Jalen and Jacoby, the after show is presented by ADT, real protection. And now, Jalen and Jacoby. Welcome to Jalen and Jacoby, the after show. We just concluded the second part of the two-part documentary, Lance. I need another beverage. Cyclist Lance Armstrong. That was intense. And now we have the honor of being joined by the director of the film, Marina Zenovich. Marina, thank you so much for taking the time. How does it feel now that the world has experienced what you've spent years on? Well, it was two years in the making, and I'm uh, I'm thrilled that we kind of put it out there. How did you get involved with this story, and what was it like to meet Lance for the first time? So I had made a film uh, for ESPN about the Duke lacrosse scandal called Fantastic Lies. Mm. And um, that was in 2016. And it was pretty successful. And we enjoyed working together. So uh, they were trying to find something for us to work on. And Libby Geist uh, called me one day and said, you know, what do you think about a film about Lance Armstrong? And my initial thought was like, why? Like, haven't there been fiction films and nonfiction films and books? And she said, you know, yeah, but he's just listened to a couple of these podcasts he had done. I think the Joe Rogan show. Um, I can't remember the other one. And it seemed that he was in a different place, that enough time had passed that maybe he would be willing to tell his story. So that was in um, what, like? February 2018, I went and I met him. Um, I had just made a film about Robin Williams, who was a friend of his. So, you know, we had kind of that in common. Um, and I don't know, he agreed to do it. I, so, so basically, he, I think, I, I heard this later, that he basically wasn't sure whether he wanted to do it, had cold feet at a certain point, um, but agreed. And you have to understand it was at a moment in time when the U.S. postal case was going to go to trial. So that was going to be used as like a framework in the film. We weren't going to be able to film in the courtroom, but we were going to film Lance as he was kind of going through this. And it would have been clearly a very different film um, in the sense that we would have had that whole legal proceeding as much as we could include. Um but I got a call the next month that he was flying to D.C. and they were thinking about settling. So the film quickly became something else. But to me, it was really about a moment in his life, like the last lawsuit was over and it was like a turning of the page in his life. So I feel like I captured him at a particular, a, a, a great moment when a lot was going on. Um, I think if I started the film today, it would be different. That's a really good point. And uh, we just finished watching the film. And one of the most powerful things I saw in all four hours of this film was at the very end when his teammate Bobby said, usually when I know people, I know whether I like them or dislike them. I know whether I love them or hate them. And I've known Lance for decades and I still don't know how I feel. And after watching this film, learning about Lance from birth till current day, I still feel the same way. Like, I don't know if anti-hero is the right word, but like, what do you, how do you feel about Lance? Sort of, is he a hero? Is he a cheater? Is he a villain? Like, what do you think about him? He He's all those things and mm. more. And um, I feel fortunate that I was, that he was willing to go there with me 
and he was willing to kind of show himself in all his um, directness and, um, you know, kind of the good, the bad and the ugly. I mean, to people who survived cancer because to people who survived cancer, they don't care about the doping. I mean, not everyone. It's case by case, as you know. But a lot of people still view him as this beacon of light who helped them in their darkest moments. Mm. And they don't care about anything else. And I get that. Then you have the people who he bullied and, you know, <laughs> lied to and what have you. And, and, some of them can make peace with what he did and some of them can't then. I mean, it's, it's just, the list goes on and on. I mean, that's why it's an interesting film. What a character. <sighs> well, congratulations. You've done a terrific job of capturing so many things that I didn't know about this story. And it was fascinating to me to see Lance say, He's happy the way things transpired because it put him in the place that he is today. If that was me, I probably wouldn't feel as such. Do you believe him when he says that? You know, I actually do because I, I spent a lot of time with him and I could see that if he was kind of going down that path of continuing to lie and not facing up to what he did. I just don't know if you can necessarily live with yourself um, and have an honest relationship with your kids and your spouse and your friends. So, you know, he says in the film, I needed a nuclear meltdown and I got it. Mm. I mean, you know, is it like the pandemic? Like we have no choice, so we have to make the best of it. Maybe, but I feel like as difficult as it was, he's embraced. Oh, he's tried to embrace uh, understanding who he is, what he did, why, and he's kind of made peace with it. And some people hate that and will always hate, hate him. Some people admire that he's able to do that. I mean, it takes work when you think about his darkest days, you know, how horrible it must have been. And those are like hours and days and weeks and months and years. Um, I believe it. Jill, and there's so much more to discuss with part one of Lance. But before we get to that, I just want to mention that when it matters most, trust ADT. Now more than ever, you need peace of mind with 24-7 rapid response monitoring from the leader in home security. Be an everyday hero by staying safe at home while ADT helps protect you and your loved ones. ADT has nine owned and operated U.S.-based monitoring centers and the largest security network in the U.S. ADT takes protecting your health seriously. Rest assured, all ADT employees are taking critical measures to help protect everyone's health, including offering contactless installation and using extra protective and sanitation tools. You can protect now, pay later with low flexible monthly payments to fit your budget. So help protect your home today with ADT.
want to talk to you about sort of the hero and the villain that is Lance. There's the hero, literally, literally saved lives, literally helped hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that were suffering from one of the worst diseases that our species have ever seen. There's that side of him, the live strong, the cancer, the cancer survivor. And then there's also the cyclist who cheated, who wasn't exactly the nicest guy out there on the track or to his teammates. And he once said in the film, he said, I wish I could have separated the cancer and the cycling, but would that even be possible? And why did you include that bite? Well, because I think (laughs) people compartmentalize. Mm. And I think in his mind, he was doping. He felt that everyone at his level was doping. So that was kind of separate to cancer. So in his mind, he could separate them. Um, You know, we were kind of trying to um, delve into his mind as much as we could. And it's like, I don't know why I kept that bite. Cause I thought it, it was, it was interesting that he said it, you know, there were so many amazing bites. I mean, when he says, you know, you lie once and, you know, then you tell a second lie and then you tell another lie. And pretty soon, <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's 10,000 lies. It's like, wow. So I felt like I got him at a time where he was willing to open up. I don't know if he's happy that he did, <laughs> but um, I feel fortunate that I was able to kind of just expose him for himself and others. Some will always hate him and never see it. Some will appreciate what he did. I mean, the, the film is... Um, it's nuanced. It's very nuanced. It's not black and white. So. Well, that's how you know it's a great project. We went through this with The Last Dance. There will be villains. And for Michael Jordan, they were other people. For Lance, it's him. Mm. So mm. that's what makes the dynamic a little bit different. Interesting. And also, what got exposed for me is that basically many in cycling felt like everybody mm. else was doing it. So it was commonplace and it was basically covered up by the powers that be. Do you feel like that was the case? Oh, a hundred percent. I think, you know, in 1998, you had the Festina scandal and, you know, I didn't know that going in. It's like, wait, hold on. There was a huge doping scandal the year before. So of course everyone thinks, oh, we're going to clean this sport up and, you know, the next year Lance comes in, they're all doping. Um, I I think that Lance was a bit of a pawn to the UCI, you know, in the sense that they used him to elevate the sport. I mean, imagine what would have happened if he, if they found out that he was cheating in 99, right after 98. I mean, it's like, who knows what would have happened to the sport. So, so much corruption and favoritism and bullying and lying and, hmm. you know, it makes sounds drama. Uh, <laughs> it, it all sounds very familiar, but we won't talk about politics. We'll talk about sports on this. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to take you back to something that we watched last week, which is, um, 
two decisions that you made to start this film. And I know when you're making a film like this, you know, you kind of want to hook the audience early. And you certainly did so with a unique story that kind of is a microcosm for his story, which is when he's hanging at the bar. Mm -hmm. And we all know by now it's the F-U-F-U-F-U story, which has now become a very enjoyable meme all over the social media. (laughs) But I just want to ask you, why did you pick that to sort of like set the tone for the whole entire film? Well, when I started making the film, um, you know, Lance was, I never said to him like, okay, so I'm making a film about you. I don't want you to do any other press or anything like that. I I never had that conversation because I didn't really feel that it was my place. But, you know, I would Google him and and I saw that he did a podcast and I heard this story and I was like, holy shit, like this is, this has got to be my story. This has got to be in the movie. This is such an amazing story. So um, I asked him to not tell the story anymore and to tell it to me. And mm. we actually went to the bar. It was in Denver. We interviewed the bartender. Um, it was a lot of fun kind of doing that digging. We were maybe thinking about making it some sort of scene. I think if we would have found the people who yelled at him, um, we would have done that, but we didn't. But it was just an amazing story that I think – um, speaks a lot to the fear he had of waiting for that moment and what it was like. And the fact that like in 2014, maybe Lance Armstrong, well, not maybe, I think Lance Armstrong would have reacted differently. Um, I think he, well, I know he's been through a lot of therapy. When you say that, it sounds so cheesy, but it's true that He's made an attempt to look at himself and um, try to understand why he did what he did for, for what, for, you know, how can he live with himself? So it was, it just seemed like the perfect way to start the movie. It was, you know, but the best part was some woman tweeted like, oh, Marina Zenovich came to play. (laughs) <laughs> i love twitter well jalen Jalen, let me ask the next question because my follow-up is very relevant to that because immediately following the sort of fu story we had a montage of you asking a very difficult question to a many different cyclists and what i saw that and i read into way too much into things very often jalen can attest to this but i saw that as Marina Zenovich came to play. Like, I, you kind of sent a message to me as the viewer. Listen, this isn't a fluff piece. I'm going to ask hard questions. I'm going to put people in uncomfortable situations. So, you know, right in the first five minutes of the film, you sort of set the tone to me personally. I'm not saying it's what you meant to do as that you did come to play. Was that intentional as a decision? Totally. Totally. I mean, it's just like, let's call a spade a spade. And we had Bonnie Ford and Charles Pelkey in there just saying like, look, People think he's, you know, basically using you to rehabilitate Mm -hmm. his reputation. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, let's just put it all out there. Like, guess what, audience? We're in on this, too. We know, (laughs) you know, so that it's fun creating in that way, just letting the audience know you're in on it with them. And then let's go on this journey. Well, I'll have some advice for Lance in hindsight. I done brought a lot of food and drinks for family and friends. They don't care after they finish. So that won't even matter. <laughs> Those same people will still be saying that about him really soon. And speaking of people that he didn't ultimately see eye to eye with, Floyd Landis, what about the emails that he wrote and why do you feel like he did such? 
Oh my God. When I said to Floyd, what did you do after you sent the emails? Like, could you imagine? Like, he's like, I sent more emails. I mean, that guy, (laughs) he was ready. He was ready. You know, he had been holding the secret in for so long and he just felt it was unfair. And, and, and Floyd is the kind of guy who just said, you know, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to expose this. So, um, I loved interviewing Floyd. He's, he's really made peace with everything. Um, he has an amazing story. Um, did I forget the question? No, you didn't. You've already, you've already answered it. And you I have answered it. I have a follow up about Floyd as well, because this is sort of the, the, the duplicity that is all over this film. And there's Lance who, you know, who, who's, seems to be sort of self-actualized at this point in his life, as he's explained. And he's responsible for his actions and he owns up to everything he's done. And he said, he's not going to lie to you. He's going to tell you everything is the truth. And I really do believe that. But there's a part of me that in his heart of hearts believes that this is like 70% Floyd Landis's fault. Like there's a part of me that's like, if not, it's like, if not for you meddling kids, I would have gotten away with this to to paraphrase Scooby-Doo. Like, do you think that, Inside Lance's soul, there is a part of him that says, if Floyd Landis doesn't write those emails, I'm not in this position. Partially, yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, he also talks about the comeback and how that was kind of a mistake. But it's like, you know, he couldn't help himself. He's a born competitor and and wanted to get back in there. And... um, you know, I was surprised when, when, how he reacted to Floyd. And it's funny because mm-hmm. I interviewed Lance in Aspen and Floyd was in Leadville. So it's kind of like over the hill, if you will. It was interesting that they were so close to each other yet so far away. Um, but I, I don't know if Lance would have the same reaction now. Um, probably, but maybe not because I think more time has passed. Um, you know, I, I even felt there was a moment where he talks about Floyd uh, in something we filmed that's in the, I can't remember. It's like a, a, a young president's organization event in Colorado. And he had changed a little bit on Floyd even then. I mean, I think it's really what mood he's in, how he feels, what's affected him. But, yeah. You're uncovering so many things in people's lives that now they almost have to relive and or litigate for people who didn't live that Mm -hmm. as it was happening. So what was the most difficult part of doing this project? Um, gosh. I mean, it's really interesting going to talk to Lance's stepfather Mm. and then speaking to Lance's uh, birth father's sister um, who gave me some photographs and hearing kind of her story. I mean, it's really hard when you're doing this kind of thing because you don't want to meddle, but you're trying to get to the truth. You're trying to explain why someone is the way they are. Um, but, you know, I'm just trying to think it, it's, you know, the Greg Lamond part, 
was I really tried to get Greg. He didn't want to talk. Frankie Andre didn't want to talk. All of Lance's coaches when he was younger didn't want to talk. Tom Wiesel, no. You know, I was um, lucky to get Lance to kind of say so much. I, I don't, I don't, I guess, I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't go to what was the hardest part. To me, I love kind of uncovering what's behind the moment that everyone knows, like Oprah. Like, how did that happen? And hearing the backstory, like Lance didn't even ask anyone from his own team. He just went and flew and met Oprah and decided he was going to do it. And they're all like, what? It was too soon, you know? Um, So the hardest part, it's hard with the children, you know? Um, You just don't want to cause problems for people. And like you kind of, I know, I know this, especially from the Duke lacrosse case, um, there's only so much, you know, you, you just don't want to cause pro- problems in people's lives. So I try to stay away from um, any kind of lasting harm. Of course. And I, and I think you did a really good job, especially in Lance's role as a father in not editorializing it, but just sort of displaying Showing it. Like it. when he, when he went, when he went to the football game, it's like, I have my own takeaways from that. And I think that you might have led me via the storytelling to feel that way, but you really did just show. And then we all just took that trip along with you and took our own takeaways from it. But when we're talking about father son relationships, I do want to talk about who I perceived as sort of the true villain in this film and I will say it. You don't have to. Terry Armstrong. Like, I just thought that there was something about the way that he comported himself and the way that he spoke. And, um, you know, if you didn't see part one or you forgot, that is sort of his namesake, which wasn't his uh, biological father, but someone who was his stepfather for a while. And it was a, a really interesting case in Lance Armstrong remembers it one way. Well, he abused me and I was physically abused and he beat me up. And Terry Armstrong sort of tells a different story where, yes, I was tough on him, but his mother was always there. And at one point, Terry Armstrong, which, which my, I, my jaw was agape when he said, it's these because words, of me, it's because of me, it's because of me, seemed to take credit for Lance's success. I mean, it, it, it's astonishing to me. What was it like to be in the room and to speak to him and to sort of like realize that this man mm. really believes these words that are coming out of his mouth? He was certainly an interesting character from when I wrote him a letter and spoke to him on the phone. And when he told me that I, he looked me up and Asher was pretty. That was a moment that I thought, oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Wow. Sounds like the same guy. Yeah, this isn't a match on Tinder, Mr. Armstrong. We're, we're doing a documentary about your former steps on Lance. Yeah, no, it was a little weird. But, um, you know, he was kind enough to let us into his home and share his story. And um, it's complicated. I mean, to me, the sadder part of the story was um, Lance's birth father. That that just mm-hmm. kind of really was hard to me because I think this is a guy who, you know, had a kid young as Lance's mother was young and what 16 gave birth at 17 um didn't really know what to do i think they linda armstrong moved away and so he didn't know how to find his son and you know i think one day in the mail some adoption papers came and and he signed them 
And, uh, that to me was just incredibly tragic. Um, so yeah, I haven't heard from Terry. I assume he's seen the film, but I appreciate his willing to kind of share his truth like everyone else did. Well, we, we put you on a couch for a really long time. Hopefully this has been <laughs> therapeutic for you, but I want to ask you one other thing because when these documentaries come out, it unearths the subjects that are featured. Has Lance reached out to you I've ha- or have you heard from him since it came out? Um, I did actually. I did. I, I haven't gotten back to him yet. But, um, I, I, yeah, <laughs> but I will, um, was I, he happy, unhappy? You left, you left Lance on red. <laughs> it's all red. <laughs> My son's always like, oh, they left you on red. I don't even know what that means. I no, I mean, look, I, I, I've been, you know, I've been doing a lot of press for this. It's not easy. Like there's a lot of strong feelings about Lance Armstrong and I can understand how difficult this is for him, but I, I give him um, kudos for willing to kind of show himself um, the good, the bad and the ugly. So um, I think he's coming to terms with the film and, you know, hopefully he appreciates it. On some level, if not now, you know, soon. Well, we certainly appreciate, uh, much like you appreciate all of those subjects of this documentary, allowing you into their home and sharing their story with you. We do, we feel the same way. Marina Zenovich, director of this great film. We look forward to your next project and just want to congratulate you one more time for the great work that you've done with Lance. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Jalen, it's so nice to hear Marina's behind-the-scenes stories and the making of this complicated tale, Lance, both part one and part two. But we always say we give the people what they want. And what are the people going to get next Sunday on Jalen Jacoby the Actors? You know how some of your favorite rappers have terrific ad-libs? Yes. Well, my favorite martial artists have one, too. What the? Do you remember almost 10 years ago, David Jacoby? I knew we were going to tell this story. I brought a pitcher into the studio when I wanted it to look just like it looks right now. What was the first picture I've ever brought into the studio? So the Grantland studio was built, uh, wow, 10 years ago, a little less than that. And we meticulously put up all the pictures behind us. I mean, we spent so many hours printing pictures and framing them and getting them all to the right spots. And one thing that works in television art direction is a lot of small pictures, kind of like the ones you see behind me. And Jalen said, well, I'm going to bring in a picture of Bruce Lee because I really want that behind me while we, um, <laughs> you know, do our show. And we're like, all right, Jay, come on, bring it in. And like, I didn't know that this, it was going to be like a life-size picture of Bruce Lee. <laughs> like it must've been six feet high, four feet wide, a Bruce Lee like this. And Jalen just looks at me and he was just like, all right, put it behind me. Let's rock. And I was just like, I didn't know how to tell him. I, I, we didn't even have like a good relationship at that point. I was just like, this fool wants me to put this gigantic picture of Bruce Lee. Like Bruce Lee could be bigger than him in the shot. <laughs> and also, so getting enamored by Bruce Lee Falling in love and watching movies. So you, I know that I prefer 98% of what type of movies that feature who? Oh, you only really watch movies that feature people of color. I mean, that's pretty much it. 
Yeah, it just seemed to work that way. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that until you pointed it out to me and I started naming all of my favorite movies. It was subliminal. And another pivot of things we used to really do in the hood is watch karate movies. No doubt movies. about it. All day, Chuck Norris. And so when Bruce Lee had Game of Death, Fist of Fury, mm. And all of a sudden, I look, I look a little closer, and I see a tall guy. That, oh, oh, that's, that's I'm, I'm like, that's, that's Kareem. That's Lou I'm like, he right got there. Kareem. I'm like, yo. I'm like, he, hey, man, he earned kudos for the hood forever when he had Lou Alcindor and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the movie. And Kareem wasn't playing. So as a young basketball player, Jacoby, I'm like, I got to get my feet up. I got to get, get my legs up. You know what I'm saying? That comes with it. One thing that I'm so excited for um, the film itself and our after show next week is much like Michael Jordan and much like the Lance story. We know the nouns and we can put a face to a name, but over time you, you forget some of the details of the story of the character behind the face. And I feel like with Bruce Lee, there is so much about him that I'm excited to learn because I like Michael Jordan. I never feel like I was let in into his in the inner workings of how he works and how he ticks and what his personality is like, what it's like to be around him offset. So much of what I know about him is him playing a character, him in front of the camera. So I can't wait for next week when we have like water nine o'clock on ESPN. And then at 11 PM, you have another Jalen and Jacoby, the after show this time focused on one of Jalen's favorite people in the world, Bruce Lee until then. Thank you so much for watching and listening to Jalen and Jacoby, the after show.